Hey everyone and welcome to this new episode of Security Headlines. Today we've got a really nice episode ahead of us. When people ask me how I run my email server, I tell them there's only one pure hearted OpenBSD hosting provider I want. It's OpenBSD Amsterdam, of course. With soon 400 VMs deployed, a large chunk of cash donated to the OpenBSD Foundation, keeping the OpenBSD community running happy. Joining me today is a really interesting character in the BSD space. It's Misha Peters. Misha, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm great, I'm great. So you're one of the many characters in the BSD space, but uh, how did you get here? How did your technology journey started? And was there some kind of light bulb moment where you're like, wow, technology is awesome? Uh, uh, actually, there was. I, I don't really consider myself one of the characters, though. I'm, I'm just someone on the sidelines, helping, facilitating and such. But there was indeed a light bulb moment. I've been always looking for simple hypervisors. Uh, I tried KVM and all the others on, on and Kumu or however you pronounce that on, uh, on FreeBSD. And then when FreeBSD came out with their own hypervisor, I thought, okay, this is great. But that became very quickly, very complicated. So I, I had some stuff running on there. And then at one point, Mike Larkin started to build his own hypervisor on top of OpenBSD. And I went, okay, this is, mm. this is cool. I have to keep an eye on that. Um, and there was this moment where, where a lot of things came together. So how can I contribute back to the community? I would like to have a domain with something OpenBSD in it and a simple hypervisor to build on and also to see how far we can take it, how far we can actually stretch that. Because I think we were quite early on, well, almost yeah two two years and a bit when we when we started so quite early on when it first came into base so those all those things came uh, came together so there was dot amsterdam was available so i started to to register that i still had no idea what to do with that and i went okay yeah let, let's see how far we can take this i did a quick poll on on twitter started with the single machine with like eight meg of ram um, oh, wow. and, and yeah, and, and, that, and that quickly, well, that was full win in no time. And then I had another machine laying around that I cleared and then it, it grew from there. And, and currently we're on, well, we just racked the, the 12th server. Nice. Um, I'm actually migrating people off server one, so that can be a full blown uh, server as well. So that, that's really roughly how it all started. Oh, but So that was kind of the... Because I, I guess it's been laying in the air that not a lot of hosting providers, they support uh, OpenBSD VMs. Was that, uh, and people have been asking on the OpenBSD mailing list from time to time, oh, is there someone that can recommend a VPS host? But was there, a, did you kind of see a demand for it? Or was it just, okay, I'm going to test this out and let's do a Twitter poll and let's see what happens. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. The poll was more around what are people willing to pay? And, and I did see, I think the poll actually showed people were willing to pay more, but I think the sweet spot was really around five euros a month for like 512 meg and 50 gig disk, uh, even though it's not SSD, it's HDD, but still. I also did a, did a quick check with what like some of the, the major cloud providers were charging for a small VM. And it was really just that. Let's see how far we can take it. The, the first month really well while I was still building the machine um, I already had the registration page up and there were like 40 registrations and I went oh wow this is insane but I, I was actually expecting it to to die down and to to have like a, a top off um, at one point but it's it's still growing it looks like we're gonna 
lose a couple of people this month. So we're going to probably dip a little bit under 380 for the first time. We're not growing, but it's been insane. I have really not expected this. Yeah, the user adoption seems to be crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, and well, the initial interest is always, well, let's see how it works. I've always wanted to play with OpenBSD. It's a nice way to contribute to the community and get something back. So there's a lot of people that just try it out, leave it running, leave it idle for, for a year and then go, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to renew it anymore. But there's also a lot of people that run their mill servers uh, or mill services on top of yeah. it. Uh, VPN is a common one, uh, secondary DNS, uh, jump mm. host. So there's, uh, and of course, yeah, websites, either WordPress or static generated. Um, but there's, I, I was, at one point, there was a, a company in Italy coming to me and saying, well, yeah, we want to run our, our stuff on there. I went, okay, are you oh, sure? Wow. <laughs> uh, can we have an invoice? Sure. Um, but it's, it's actually been quite stable. There's, there's some quirks, some connectivity issues every once in a while, which... I still not really nailed down or figured out where it's coming from, but it, it seems to, with every release, it is getting better. So it's, it's getting more and more stable, which is quite impressive. Yeah, because this is one of the bigger projects that is running the OpenBSD's own hypervisor, right? So I guess uh, there's been a lot of testing and finding bugs and reporting that and stuff like that. In the beginning, yes, especially VMs that were hanging for some reason or consuming a lot of resources for no apparent reason. Um, so we collected a lot of data around that. There was also a very useful feature request that we did that got implemented very, very quickly. So that as a mere mortal, you can just start and stop your own virtual machine, which was not the case. You had to be part of, of Wheel in order to do that. But all the rest, yeah, things have... have or people have gradually added new functionality. Uh, for example, QCOW2 uh, was introduced somewhere late last year. Oh, nice. No, not last year, before that, I believe even. Early, early last year. So, so there's some really useful additions coming to, uh, to the hypervisor, which is quite nice. Very nice. So, but how did you end up running BSD? What was your journey into the BSD land? And, uh... Were you a Linux user first, or did you like, okay, I'm going to try this weird thing called FreeBSD, or how did that end up? Uh, that actually started a long time ago. I, I was initially a, a Linux user. Uh, mm -hmm. When I went to university, we had Unix, we had the uh, CineOS at the time. Okay. Um, and, and I thought that was really cool, and I wanted to have something that it could run at home. And I think it was Slackware at the time that I started mm. using. And then from Slackware, I moved to Red Hat. Um, mm -hmm. I was a Red Hat beta tester on Spark for some time. Oh, cool. Um, and, then, and then one of my friends showed me the light um, of, of FreeBSD <laughs> at the time. I think it was FreeBSD 3.14 or something. Mm -hmm. So I ran FreeBSD for a long time. I started OpenBSD probably five, six years ago. Random in parallel, and I'm slowly migrating everything FreeBSD to, uh, to OpenBSD because it, it works much better with my brain, how things are structured, the defaults, all the things that are in base. Um, so there's, there's hardly any things that I cannot do with, with OpenBSD base these days. Nice. And, and what, what do you run most now? Is it OpenBSD or uh, what's your to-go well, to open operating system? 
Um, well, not counting all the virtual machines for OpenBSD Amsterdam, it's, it's primarily uh, OpenBSD. So oh, um, there's currently three machines still running FreeBSD. Um, and I'm actually migrating one FreeBSD machine to OpenBSD as we speak. So the last service that is running in production is Mail that I'm moving to OpenBSD. And then everything is pretty much on four machines, everything running in, in virtual machines. So yeah, pretty much dog fooding. Nice. And I, uh, I did some research and you worked for Access for All before they got bought up by KPN, right? Correct. Yes. How how was that before they went super into the corporate wheel? That was awesome. Uh, in, in, in those days, service providers or ISPs were, were yeah, tiny. No one knew what we were doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember it well at that time. We, we got a call from KPN actually, or yeah, I think they were already called KPN at that time, um, asking us saying, hey, you guys have like 1200 phone lines, but you never make calls. What do you do? <laughs> uh, things like that. So, so that was, that was great. We, we had everything on, on, we started with, with 19 K two modems with, from Zyxol, nice. uh, port masters for, for people that know. That. So yeah, that, that was a great time. That was a great time. I think together with the team that I was part of, we were called hardware mm -hmm. um, and we were responsible for all the points of presence in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. um, and I think besides one point of presence, I, together with the team, we built all the points of presence throughout the Netherlands because you had like these phone areas and people wanted to make local calls and things like that. So we had this whole mapped out and we would be in every area where people could make a local uh, phone call to the internet. So yeah, that was, uh, that was quite cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then of course, KPN bought them. Yeah. That was a and then a lot changed or uh, what, what happened now? Uh, well, actually I left before that. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so we used Livingston Portmasters to actually hook up the modems and that would terminate your, your, let's say your session. So it would do the, the PP, PPP and it would set you up onto, uh, to the network and do all these things. So I actually left access for all to work for Livingston, which got then bought by Lucent and that's a whole other story, I guess. Um, so I missed the whole acquisition, unfortunately, because pretty much every employee got a nice bonus out of that. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I think for the first couple of years, it, it was actually business as usual. So um, Xroll could do their own thing, uh, no interference from, uh, from the big brother. But then slowly but surely over time, like any acquisition, that, that changes. As, and it, I think it, the peak happened last year where they said, okay, we're going to cancel the access role brand and the whole country came up in arms and say, well, we don't oh. want that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting, uh, ISP certainly with, uh, with a lot of people coming from the kind of hacktivist scene with the uh, hack tick, which was yep. Deutsch, uh, hacker magazine that were active between 89 and 94. So I bet there will be, were a lot of interesting people working there at, uh, at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But also the, the, the people that founded Extrastrol indeed came from, from the hectic scene. And, and, and also that, that scene is, is, well, it's not really comparable to like the German CCC because mm -hmm. we're in Holland, we're not that organized. Um, but from, from an events perspective, also uh, maybe you're, you're familiar with, with HIP, uh, yeah. hacking in progress and hacking at large. And, and so they, these were similar events that the CCC would do every four years. And then every four years also in the Netherlands, 
So that came out of Access for All at the time. Also the, nice. the lawsuit against Scientology. Uh, mm. Maybe you, you remember that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of hectivism, yeah, which unfortunately died down a little bit. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not really the same today. No. Not at all. Uh, I often ask people, uh, people that I work with that, uh, when was the last time you read a good e-sign? And they're like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And uh, they're not a thing anymore. No. But then... Uh, you founded your own ISP, right? High Five or uh, yes. High Five. Correct. So that actually also was more like I had, when I was working at Dexter's Roll, I had my own hardware, my own server there. Okay. Uh, when I left, it was still there, but it was like condoned, right? I was not paying for it. So I was never really a customer. So if things would happen, they could not really help me or sometimes they did if they had time. So I thought, okay, let's, let's formalize this. So I found three friends and said, okay, we're going to rent this rack and then we can all have what, like a quarter of that and we can put our hardware in there and then that's ours. So I signed the contract and then right after that, one of my friends said, well, I don't know. I'm actually going to not do that. Shit. <laughs> now I have a quarter rack space that I don't know how to fill, but it's still quite a big chunk of cash that I don't have just laying around. Uh, because this is all well, 20 years ago or something. Um, so then I just started making some some calls, talking to some people, saying, hey, I've got rec space. Do you want to put your server there? And I went, yeah, sure. So people came with their 1U, and I started sending invoices. Nice. Um, and then it also, like like OpenBSD Amsterdam, it mushroomed a little bit out of that. Uh, so it cool. was more, I want to do this for my own, and I then started to do hosting and co-location for, for other people. Uh, because then at one point, a friend of mine said, well, I have, I'm starting this company and I need some rack space. I want half a rack. And I'm like, well, I don't have half a rack. I can get one. So I started getting more and more racks, just filling that with hardware. And I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the company Bluecoat that does uh, proxies. Yeah. They, yeah. they were uh, bought by Symantec and then Broadcom. Yeah. So the whole EMEA virtual lab at one point was in my space. Oh, wow. So that was a full rack of blue code oh, boxes wow. and servers and, and all these things. So I think at peak time, I had around eight or nine full racks, completely full. Um, oh, but wow. now with all the cloud things are happening and people want to go virtualized and serverless, it's, it's slowly shrinking, mm-hmm. uh, which is also a nice benefit with OpenBSD Amsterdam because now I can actually fill those empty slots with my own hardware again, uh, providing services. So. Uh, yeah, that, that was also a little bit of a hobby that got, off, got out of hand uh, and mushroomed pretty dramatically. Nice, nice. So you, you've been basically maintaining that ASN number ever since then? Uh, well, the ASN number came later uh, okay. because I'm, I'm, it's still hosted at Access for All. And the nice thing with Access for All is that they're primarily an access provider. So you okay. get like DSL and fiber. Um, and also for them, the whole co-location part is just yeah, a nice to have thing because there's so much traffic that they have for outgoing, right? Because there's a lot more traffic coming in for all the users at home. So there's, there's this, this discrepancy between incoming traffic and outgoing traffic. So that's also why they started to do co-location and, and, uh, and hosting themselves. Um, so I'm actually 
talking BGP to access for all and then access for all announces my IP space. Um, and then I also have like a port on the NLIX uh, where I do have my own AS and I own some, some separate space. Do, do you uh, run uh, open BGP? I do run open BGP for oh, cool. the NLIX uh, yeah. exchange. Um, but towards access for all, I still use a foundry. What is it? Uh, an MLX 4000 these days. Because I used to work for Foundry and it's just nice hardware. It just never breaks. It's insane how good that is. It cannot do full table, unfortunately, not, not the, the, the machine that I'm running. So if I would ever need to go full table, I'm probably going to have a, a nice beefy box running OpenBGPD. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who knows? So does the majority of your network gear run Foundry then? Or, uh... Yes. So yeah, okay. all my switches are Foundries. Um, the router is Foundry. Um, the majority of my network is connected with 10 gig, not everything yet, um, but that's still something on my to-do list. I have to pull some fiber still for, for one of the one or two more racks, but everything uh, for all the OpenBSD Amsterdam machines that are connected to a switch that is connected indeed with 10 gig. Nice. Yeah. And then I, from the router, I have two times 10 gig to the access roll core switches. Oh, nice. So yeah, let's jump into a bit of workflow. How does your workflow look like? What OS do you run and what text editor do you use and uh, what window manager and uh, how does your <laughs> workflow look like? When you boot well, up I've your got, laptop and you're supposed to do work, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so I've got, I've got a, a MacBook Pro for my day job okay. um, um, and my terminal window is always open and I have a MOS session running to my jump host and then I have Tmux running there. Nice. Uh, my Tmux is connected to all the hardware. So every machine, um, I have a window open. And then my personal machine is a Lenovo X270 hmm. uh, running CWM. Very minimal. It's, it's pretty much based on, on Roman's uh, Roman setup. If you, if you know that, it's very minimalistic. So a black screen, two windows, and then maybe another Firefox or Chrome window. And that's pretty much it. So oh, I'm, nice. I'm pretty much everything that I do, I try to do from my terminal, if at all possible. Um, and then the, the workflow for OpenBSD Amsterdam, it's, it's actually quite straightforward. And this is also something that, that came about over time, mm -hmm. is that I have the, the, the contact form on, uh, on the website, uh, people fill in their, their details, I get an email. So that's still part that I haven't automated yet. And um, so I get an email, I can actually check if all the fields are correct, because sometimes people add this extra space or some comments. Mm -hmm. um, so that file I then add to the machine where I run to run the VM. So I keep a little bit of track how many VMs are running on every machine. So I try to uh, level it out a little bit so that also the load is evenly spread. And then from that moment on, everything is pretty much fully automated. So I, nice. I save the file to a VM ID name and I launch a script that kicks off an expect script that starts the process and actually connects to the console and start adding or pressing some buttons, for example, and I use Ooh. the auto installer. So based on the information that the user has provided me, I create an auto installer. I, I assign an IP address via DCP. Um, the SSH key goes in there, a root password is generated that is added to the, uh, the SSH 
key when we write it to our to uh, authorized keys. And then the whole process is done. And once the process is successfully completed, the user actually get an automated email saying, hey, your VM is running, nice. this is your IP address, nice. this is the port, this is your... Nice. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite useful. Nice. Yeah. That, that's how you want it, fully automated. Instead of uh, yeah, so there's, there's one automation step that I'm still trying to figure out because I don't actually want to add a lot of input checks Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the contact form. So I actually do that visually, okay. but that, that's the one part. And also maybe to figure out where a new VM needs to be uh, uh, spun up. Um, th- there, there's some stuff that, that I'm thinking about how to do that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's minimal. It's hardly any work. It's like two minutes for me to actually spin up a new VM. About how, how do you calculate what VM goes to what server? Is it based on like what VM has, what the server has the most storage and most ROM freely available, or how do you pick that? Well, all, all the hosts are pretty well overdimensioned. So there's, even if, if every VM had like one gig of memory, there's enough. And with the new hardware donation that I've got, it's, it's even double that. So all the oh, machines well. that I had were 64 gig of RAM, and now it's 128. So we couldn't even just say, okay, maybe one gig of, of memory for everybody from now on, but I, I want to make sure that all the hardware is the same first. So we can do that. Um, so I do have scripts running every once in a while to check what the load is on the machines. Also to see if there's VMs that are stuck because that, that sometimes still happen where a VM just hangs around 85% CPU. And then I know already, well, something is wrong. So I check it manually to see, okay, do I get a console? Can I ping it? Is, is someone up updating uh, or upgrading the VM, for example, because that could potentially indicate that. And, and I also just have a script that counts all the VMs that are installed and running on, on all the hosts. Nice. So if I see, okay, all the machines have like 37 VMs, then I'll just pick one and I'll create the 38 because I, I don't want to exceed 40 VMs on a single host. Hmm. How, how do you how do you count on each host? Do you use Ansible or something like that, or to count them? Yeah. No, no. It's it's more simpler, basic than that. I have okay. a, a a script on my jump host. Okay. And um, that has a for loop that makes an SSH connection and then gathers some data uh, <laughs> and, nice. and, and puts it on on screen. That's it. Nice. Quick and effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I'm missing now is the, uh, the Ansible um, SSH forking that it can do because now I have to wait for each server to be completed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with, with like eight servers, that was fine with 10, it got, got a little bit annoying, but now we have 12. It, it's, it's longer and longer that I have to wait for things to finish. So that, that might be something that I'm going to investigate, but I'm, I'm trying to do as much without Ansible or salt or, Puppet or whatever. Okay, to keep it basic or uh, keep it clear or yeah. Well, it's also an, an interesting challenge for myself, indeed, to make to see if I can do everything with base as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but also uh, to 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 keep up my my scripting skills to use awk and set and 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 these things to to see if I can get something out of it. And if it works, it's fine. Um, if it doesn't, I'll I'll have to figure something else out. Um, one thing that I'm actually quite interested in still is, is Chris Tapp's slant that he built. 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's like a, a, a server monitoring, terminal server monitoring tool. Um, oh, yeah. Based yeah. on some of the, of the tools that Christophe's made, like KCGI and, and things oh, yeah. like that. That's a nice tool. So, uh, yeah, that's, again, still on my to-do list to, uh, to see if I can actually use that. Yeah, I use uh, KCGI to kind of create a, a reverse proxy from, uh, from TCP listener to a Unis socket, I think it is. Okay. Like that. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a very useful uh, small tool. So yeah, well, another uh, character that is uh, a bit involved in the OpenBSD Amsterdam is uh, Roman, right? How did, uh, Correct. how did he jump on the wheel? Um, yeah, it was one of these, these happy coincidences. We met each other on, on Twitter okay. because he started to actually do a lot of very nice blog posts about, for example, his, his CWM setup and, and keyboards and things like that. So we started chatting. Um, he's also graphically very skilled. So the logo he actually created, he also did the, the initial uh, website layout. It's all based on his static site generator that he created, which is just another shell script. Um, so there's, there's right. a lot of things that we had in common, like the minimalism, trying to take everything out of base as much as possible. So yeah, we had a, a good, like friendly working relationship really. And it, and until he moved to Estonia, which is a shame. So he's now has a full-time day job and enjoying life. So he's a little bit out of the picture, um, but he's still on, on Twitter, even though not as, as active anymore which is uh, quite a shame. Yeah, I think uh, that's a, lo a lot of people had that problem where they have a, a hobby that is eating up a lot of time in order to balance it with your normal day or a bread job. Uh, how do you do manage to balance the, the time? Uh, th that is a good question. You're, you're not the only one asking me that because I, I, I have indeed a, a full-time day job um, I've got High Five. I have another company with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, I've got the OpenBees, the Amsterdam project, and a wife and two kids. Um, Multi-talented. So, uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's well. The, wow. the thing is, I, I never had like a, a, a clear cut between work and private life. So for me, oh. that's one big, big mess. <laughs> um, so if I have to do things in the data center on the weekend, it's fine. Um, and then I'll s sneak some hours during the week and do something with the kids or something. It's, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, to keep a good balance. And my wife is actually quite good. If she has enough not seeing me, she will let me know. And then I'll, I'll, I'll leave the computer for a while. <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's, that must be really good to have someone that uh, balance you out. Uh, uh, you, you have to, you have to, otherwise you, you, you get distracted and, and distant from each other and you get like divorced and all these things. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm not intending to do. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Gotta keep it running stable. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the data center and at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although I do run current on a couple of machines, but yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. Let's jump in some, uh, to some quick questions to get to know you better. What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink, gin and tonics. Nice. When do you feel the most happy in your week? When are you kind of peaking on happiness in your week? Um, don't really have, well, if, if good things happen. So if, if I finish the project or if we have a good meeting or for example, when I 
racked server 12 and it was operational. It's, it's things like that. So, so there's a lot of peaks and, and valleys during, during the week. Yeah, <laughs> I would say. Okay. What's your favorite outside activity? Uh, driving. Driving. Not okay. sure if that counts as outside, but it's outside enough for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that would count. What's your favorite IDE or text editor? How do you write your shell script? VI. VI. You haven't yeah. moved to Vim yet, or? Nope. Okay. No, no. I I I used Joe for a long time. Mm. Um, Joe editor, um, and I actually, uh, I think, a couple of years back, I just did the clean cut to VI because I wanted to to learn. Also, um, I'm I'm running. KSH in, in VI mode, which now with the latest commit, the control L in, uh, in current makes my, makes my life so happy. What does control L do? Is it the one that refreshed? Uh, clears the, the screen. Yeah, yeah, clears the screen. Oh, yeah. oh nice, nice. What, what's so your favorite? Yep. In, in, in Emacs mode, it had that already for a long time, but not in VI mode. And it and was only committed like a couple of days ago. Oh, nice. What's your favorite firewall? PF, IP filter, IPFV, IP tables? What's your uh, to go to firewall? Is IP tables in that list? That should not be in your list. It's a test. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. What's your favorite IRC client? Um, um, I'm using, well, for, for a long time used Epic until I, I, I stumbled upon Irsi. Mm. So I'm using Irsi for now, for a long time, yeah. Nice, I was using Irsi. It's, uh, it's really, really nice. Yeah. Uh, pretty simple as well. You can have it in like a Tmax window and then you're just, uh, you're always yeah. online. Yeah. Exactly. So what does the future hold for OpenBSD Amsterdam? Is there any like fun projects coming up with OpenBSD Amsterdam or any special thing you want to put in production or something like that? Um, well, there's, there's, it, it, it's primarily driven by, by user questions. Um, so uh, Joop, if I'm not sure if you, you know him, he's also part of the OpenBSD community. He's primarily in, nope. in charge of all the artwork these days. Oh yeah, uh, nice. And, and the t-shirts. Cool. And some other cool things that he does in the background. And he asked me a question about backups of VMs. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something that I'm gonna investigate to to see if there's like an easy way to like either backup uh, a full VM or maybe provide some dump uh, facility. Or well, snapshotting is not there uh, unfortunately because that that would help a lot. So that's something that I'm I'm thinking of of building doing. Hopefully we'll have more hardware coming. So my plan is to actually do a refresh of all the Dell R610s that we're running and mm -hmm. uh, migrate them to Dell R620s. Uh, and then maybe see if we can actually increase uh, the memory usage for everybody uh, or the memory allocation instead of 512, move everybody to, to one gig. Um, so those are some of the things that we're hopefully cooking up and, and I'm, I'm really hoping to break through the, the 400 soon. Um, and then we have, uh, we're very close to break the, the 10K donation threshold so as well. 
to the Open BSC Foundation. Yeah, yeah, in total, not not within the year. Unfortunately, we're not there yet, uh, so we're not an official bronze sponsor. But 10k in total over over a little over over two years, so that's quite nice. That, that's that's very nice. That, that's also one of the nice projects with the nice things about the OpenBSD from uh, OpenBSD Amsterdam project that you're actually giving back to the community. And uh, how much are you giving back? Is it 10 percent of? Uh, no, it's actually more. Oh, um, because it's 10 euros of every VM. Uh, and a VM is 60 euros a year. Um, okay. and, and what we've also tried to do is to actually incentivize people to renew. Because when we had our first year, I was actually a little bit scared about the churn that we might see. Um, so that's why um, I decided to, okay, we're going to do 15 euros for renewal. Um, also to incentivize people to say, okay, yeah, sure, we're going to do that. We're not using it, but sure. Uh, so you have some CPU cycles and you donate to the, to the OpenBSD Foundation. Um, so it's actually quite a lot more than, uh, than 10%. Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. So for like the, all, all our listeners that want to uh, like try out OpenBSD on OpenBSD uh, Amsterdam, what should they run and uh, how do they do it? Uh, what do you mean, what should they run? What should they do? They're, they're, imagine they've never touched uh, OpenBSD. Uh, ah. Do you have uh, like some uh, applications that might be easy to use for uh, beginners, such as like spinning up uh, maybe an FTP server or a web server, or what are some kind yeah. of popular options for? Uh, well, um, I actually had a, had a, had a friend who, who really wanted to get into to BSD in general, so I, I spun up a VM for him. Uh, and, and gave him man.openbsd.org and said, okay, look at HTTPD uh, nice. and look at Acme client. Um, and without too much interference from my side, he actually managed to set up his own web server and with SSL enabled and, and nice. things like that. Um, so for me, that would be the go-to solution, right? You don't need any packages. You can do everything out of the box. You can do it with, with two, reading two man pages and then you're pretty much done. Plus, there's tons of how-to guides that can help you. Roman uh, has a couple to say, okay, you can run HTTP uh, D or even with Relay D in front of it if you want to do some fancy stuff with headers. So, so there's a lot of material out there that can actually take you by the hand and spin up your, your web server in like no time. Email, I'm, I'm a big believer in hosting your own email. Even though people say yeah. it's complicated, uh, um, but I have to agree with Gillis, uh, who's the one of the the, uh, the writers of uh, Open STPD, mm -hmm. uh, that it's not that hard and it and it doesn't have to be quite hard. And also with Open STPD and and maybe Dovecot uh, with with for IMAP, for example, yeah. even with base tooling besides the IMAP part, you can pretty easily set up your own mill server which is also what a lot of people have done on OpenBSD Amsterdam. Yeah. So for me, yeah, so for me, those, those would be two, two parts. Uh, one, if you have like a domain laying around somewhere and you want to get your hands dirty with email and with web, that, that would be the, the two things that I would advise. Or maybe WireGuard these days, which is also very easy to run. That's becoming very, very popular, WireGuard. Do you yep. think it will replace OpenVPN? It replaced my OpenVPN. Are you, are you running it on OpenBSD? I see yep. you are. 
and yeah. it's stable and it's a lot faster than uh, OpenVP. Are you happy with it? I'm very happy with it. What I really enjoy with WireGuard, again, it's just an ifconfig command away. Oh. Uh, and it's very, very simple to set up. What, what I didn't like with OpenVPN is that you need to create like a certificate, uh, yeah, a client time. certificate, and, and you had to send a certificate to someone. They had to install it. And uh, the thing that is nice with OpenVPN is that you don't have to worry about IP addresses. So with WireGuard, you do have to assign still an IP address to the client in your configuration. Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as you put in like the, the peer key, adding an IP address is then easy. So it's actually one command that you can run on, on OpenBSD and you can set up a tunnel. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very, very straightforward. Nice. I like it a lot. Nice. Yeah, I think that's going to be, be a big game changer or it's already being a big game changer from... Yeah, yeah, it's just the sheer simplicity of it, which, which makes it very easy to consume, especially if you have no idea about VPNs and IPsec and all these things and, and algorithms and, and keys. Very easy. Yeah. No, no other words for it. <laughs> yeah, I have it on my to-do list to kind of port all my OpenVPN servers to running WireGuard, but... Uh... I also am very happy with my script that I've written because it's just, uh, I just pointed at, uh, at the VM with the SSH and it just auto install OpenVPN. It does everything for me. And uh, yeah. so I need, I need to find the time to like write a, a deploy script for, uh, for WireGuard. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, is there anything about the OpenBSD Amsterdam that we missed that you want to highlight? Um, I, I don't think so. I think, well, we, we started out as, as running opinionated VMs because I had an opinion of, of which sets should be installed and how it should be installed. I think the opinionated, uh, uh, um, yeah, diluted a little bit over time, mm -hmm. especially now with when, when sys upgrade was introduced and it was doing a full install or full upgrade of all the, all the sets. Uh, we decided actually not just install all the sets and, and, and not worry about that anymore. Um, so a lot of the actual quirks that we need to work around are, have, have gone over time because it's just getting better. But yeah, other than that, I don't think we've, we've missed anything as far as I can, can see. But, but you run your own like OpenBSD package mirror, right? To, with the site and... Uh... Yes. Okay. For deployment. Yeah. So, yeah. So these days we do. Initially, I pointed it to the, the local mirror. Um, so every VM for the first, I think, 80, we're pointing to the local VM in uh, or the local mirror in, uh, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, that, that becomes a little bit silly. So I started pulling all the uh, at least stable onto a local uh, location. Um, I've also now added all the packages. I'm, I've also added all the stable packages. Um, Sys patches are there. Um, and also the snapshots and the packages of the snapshots are there. Mm -hmm. So you could even just point it to um, your install URL to OpenBSD Amsterdam and everything is there. And I'll, I'll, I sync everything every day at least once. No, with um, the R-Sync or? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So there's in the, in, in Holland, there's a, uh, an R-Sync mirror of, uh, of OpenBSD. So that helps. Nice. Now, yeah. And do you modify any of the packages or? 
you just sync it raw? Or? No, I sync everything raw. Um, the only thing that we've done in the installer is to add a site uh, install file or install package, I must say, where I think there's also a minimal couple of things. So we, we turn off uh, the sound daemon um, and we include TTYS um, in the mm. sysmerge ignore file because we've seen that that sometimes did get overwritten so that you don't have a console anymore, uh, which is quite annoying. Uh, if you're running your VM and you want to reach the console, there's there's hardly any uh, any things that we now actually need to do um, after the the installation. And one of the things, also a user request, Yoke in this case, uh, said, okay, can you um, update the VM uh, while you're deploying it? Because before we were just deploying it, gave you the keys, and you had to run syspatch. Mm -hmm. um, some people forgot that. So uh, especially with the bug that we had in, in STPD that was quite annoying. Uh, yep. So, yeah. yes. And, and there's some others as well that you might want to, well, you actually want to have patched before you get the keys. Um, so um, based on that, we, we uh, now actually do a full syspatch of every single VM once it's spun up. Oh, nice. That's very nice. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about that for some time. That's nice. How do yeah. you how do you manage to run uh, to keep all your I guess you have a lot of OpenBSD VMs. How do you keep all updated? That's a big often a big problem. Well, again, just a couple of scripts, a for loop, and a couple of scripts. And then you just um, so, everywhere, or sorry. And then you just syspatch them all, or uh, package yep. add. Yeah. Upgrade or so on. Huh. Yeah. So what what I have done is is I added an account to Duas, which can run Duas without password. So that script will just log in with that account and then do a Duas syspatch. Uh, once that is done, I might well depending what VM it is, I want to do a controlled reboot, or or some of them I can just do a reboot cycle within that uh, within that process. But that's pretty much it. For SSH, set, awk. Nice. Uh, that's pretty much it. Shell. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. That's very nice. Do you do the yeah. same with the, when you're running sys upgrade? When you're upgrading uh, kernels and stuff like that? Um, no. So there's two VMs that I'm running current on. Mm -hmm. uh, one for Wireguard and one for because I can and I want to test things as soon as they come out. And so I do those manually. Right. Uh, and also when a new version comes out, all the hardware, I do a manual sys upgrade because I want to control uh, VMs going down, uh, the reboot of the machine and VMs going up. And I don't want to like, get like surprised, well, this machine never came up. Uh, eh, no. So Smart. yeah, Good. after that, then VMs, I could potentially schedule because there's uh, some VMs that I have in a, in a, uh, standby mode and carp in between. So for example, my domain name server VMs are, are active standby or active, actually active active. So also with that, I could potentially say, okay, I'm going to reboot one uh, scripted, wait for five minutes and then reboot the other. So there, there's, there's a lot of things that you can do with SSH and, and basic tools. And it's also one of the reasons why I've not gone full Ansible because I used Ansible a lot when it was version one still. Mm -hmm. um, I like to do a lot of things ad hoc, which with Ansible is a little bit more tricky. Uh, 
so if I want to know what's the latest uh, version that's running on all my VMs, I can do that with a simple SSH, uname, for loop, done. And with Ansible, that's a lot trickier. You can, but it's, it, that's not the intention of, of Ansible. But yeah, that's, uh, I use Ansible for that sometimes because you, but yeah, it's a bit trickier for me to like create a role and you need to like define like, okay, here's all the boxes that I want to check and uh, then you right. need to tell Ansible, okay, hey, all use this group and then run this command on it and uh, yeah. uh, output it. Yeah. And the way that I keep my, my DNS servers in sync is with Artist. Um, mm -hmm. So that runs every day at 12 automatically. Um, and then if I do any DNS change that needs to be pushed to the other, I run Artist uh, manually and it reloads uh, the daemons. So it's for, for the things that I need to do, it's perfect. And Artist is a way of syncing stuff on the file system, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And then based on changes, you can say, do then this. So if a file has changed, kick your HTTP daemon or RelayD or NSD or Unbound or whatever it is that you want to kick. Um, if nothing has changed, nothing gets kicked. That's nice. And yeah. that, that's, a, that's a great way to keeping track of configuration files, right? Yeah. 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 The, the only tricky bit with artist is that it's, of course, one way. So you, 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 you sync something from a master to others Slaves, yeah. uh, or from the main machine to others. Uh, if then that main machine is no longer available, then it gets a little bit tricky. Uh, but so far, no good, so good. <laughs> All right. I think we now have covered most of the things. Wow. Awesome. Is there anything you would like to highlight or uh, go more in depth on? Try OpenBSD for sure. <laughs> No, not really. I think we've, we've covered a lot. Thank you for all the, all the questions. That was great. Awesome. It was a pleasure to have you on. And I'm, uh, I hope our uh, listeners enjoyed uh, hearing about OpenBSD Amsterdam. I'm sure I did. I learned a lot. And uh, where, where do people kind of keep up to date with what you're doing? And how do people keep up to date with the OpenBSD Amsterdam project? So there's a Twitter account uh, that I, I, at least all the, all the changes I post, I try not to post too much. I also highlight some of the, the projects that are running on OpenBSD Amsterdam. So, or, or interesting pages that people have created. It's both on Twitter and on Mastodon on, uh, on BSD.network. So that's how they can, it's, it's not low volume. So if you want to keep track of it, I'm, I'm also, I have some blog posts that I need to expose to the OpenBSD Amsterdam page yet, but um, I'm, I'm, that's still, again, a work in progress. And you're running SSG as static site generator or... Uh... SSG, yes. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, for both the OpenBSD Amsterdam website, for YVI Rocks website, for the HiFive.nl website, yeah. Nice, that's awesome. All right, Michel, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. And, no problem. Uh, Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. You too. Thanks. Bye.